bringing to life the souls of the past that until now have been lost to history. Talking Heart Island is a half-hour weekly podcast that explores the history of Heart Island, America's largest mass graveyard. Heart Island has been used as New York City's potter's field since 1869. It is estimated there are over one million people buried there. Because of recent advances in DNA and fingerprint technology, the identities of some of these previously forgotten and anonymous people have been revealed. The results are truly shocking. Talking Heart Island will interview a special guest each week, selected from an extraordinary assembly of scholars, authors, and scientists in the fields of history, law, medicine, and the arts, as we unravel a secret kept hidden for 150 years. So welcome to Talking Heart Island. And now, here is our host, investigative history writer Michael T. Keene. Thank you very much, Norma Jean, and this is Michael Keene, and we are Talking Heart Island. Purchased by the city in 1828, the island soon harbored an almshouse, an insane asylum, a hospital, a prison, and a workhouse. Heating and ventilation were non-existent. Disease ran rampant. Over the next 100 years, mayhem ensued with wrongly admitted patients dying of murder and disease. Blackwell Island would become another gateway leading to wide, deep pits on Hart Island. And as our very special guest today, Stacy Horn is an author, a businesswoman, and an occasional journalist she grew up on Long Island in New York and received a BFA degree from Tufts University and the School of the Museum of Fine Arts. She received a graduate de- degree from NYU in Interactive Telecommunications Program, and she is here today to discuss her fascinating book, Damnation Island. And Stacy, how are you this morning? Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, well, we're, we're very pleased to have you. Uh, you know, I thought maybe a good place to begin is for you to give us an idea of your background, where you're from, where you grew up. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to learn what interactive telecommunications degree is all about. And then, um, you know, why did you begin your writing career? I know that's a lot, but <laughs> we're dying to hear about it. Well, I decided I wanted to be a writer at nine years old, and it took me a long time to get here. Um, But the interactive telecommunications program at NYU was um, very ahead of its time. I think it actually started in the 1970s, but it was um, formed to find positive uses for the burgeoning interactive media, like things to help the community. Well, what led you to Damnation Island? I have always been 
drawn to stories that are on the morbid side, but especially stories that are, for the most part, forgotten. And I knew, I had a vague sense that something bad had happened on what is now called Roosevelt Island, but I didn't really know any details, and most people I know had the same sense. They just didn't know the specifics. And I'd actually proposed to my publisher um, a book about the municipal archives. That's a place in downtown New York where they store a lot of the city city's historical records. And it's just a really fun place if you if you love history and if you love research. And I wanted to write a book about just this great place and what kind of things you could find in their collection. And so I wrote a proposal about that, and my publisher read that, and they said, well, this is very interesting, but we think you're trying to do too much. And within my proposal, there was a section about some materials I found about Blackwell's Island. And they said, why don't you just write about Blackwell's Island? And I went, oh, my God, that's a great idea. Okay. And obviously, so you did. Can you describe the book for us? Well, the city um, in the early 19th century, um, Bellevue, which is now um, known as a hospital, public hospital, was also the site for the city's what was then called the Lunatic Asylum, um, two prisons, the penitentiary and the workhouse, an almshouse for the poor, and then it was also a hospital for the poor. It as a result, it was way overcrowded. Um, they couldn't um, serve the size of the population that they needed to serve, and conditions were horribly inhumane. And the city recognized this, and they had to do something about it. So they thought about it and considered various ideas, and then they decided to buy um, what was then called Blackwell's Island. Um, at the time, it was just owned by one family, the Blackwell family, and it was mostly just a bunch of fruit orchards and a quarry. And their idea, they, I mean, they really had a good idea. They, they thought of Blackwell's Island would become a sanctuary for all these different populations. And they would build replacement institutions for all the ones that were currently at Bellevue, and they would build them right. They would be state-of-the-art, and, and all the newest methods for treating these populations um, would be employed. And so everybody that was sent there, either for health or healing, which has come back to the city in better condition when they left. But the problem was they just, uh, they made various mistakes. Um, probably the biggest problems was the, once again, they underestimated the number of poor and sick and people suffering from mentally ill and, and the criminal population. It was just way larger than they thought it was going to be. And it was also much, much more expensive than they thought it was going to be. And then they further compounded the problem by putting all these different institutions under the charge of three men who had no qualifications and were the, they were in charge of both charitable and penal institutions. And it, by taking these groups, even though they thought like thought of the place as like a retreat and a sanctuary, it was actually isolating them from the rest of the people and isolating them all together. So it created this terrible association in the minds of the public that they were all, you know, one in the same, that that what were then called lunatics were dangerous people and poor people were essentially just criminals in disguise. 
tell us a little bit about Nellie Bly. Probably one of the more infamous institutions um, on the island was the Lunatic Asylum. And it was basically an open secret of just how bad everything was on the island. But you had to get a pass to get on the island. And so they weren't giving passes to reporters very easily. So Nellie Bly was given um, an assignment um, by her editor to uh, get herself committed to the lunatic asylum so that she could report about it undercover. And they, they prearranged her release. Um, the lawyer would come get her in 10 days. And so she spent 10 days in the lunatic asylum and wrote about it. And these are the articles that she wrote about it were eventually put together in a book called 10 days in the madhouse. And it was just this terrible expose of just how bad conditions were in the lunatic asylum. They sent generally about 30 to 50,000 people were sent to Blackwell's Island every year. And a thousand people died on the island every year. And the lunatic asylum was one of the, the deadliest institutions on the island. I mean, the mortality rates were more than or roughly equal to the mortality rates on the island's hospital, which serviced the poorest and therefore least healthy people in New York City. It was people went to the lunatic asylum and they would die either from neglect or abuse or murder by their fellow inmates. So a thousand people a year died on Blackwell Island. As you know, the the podcast is uh, essentially about Hart Island, but did they have a cemetery at Blackwell's Island? And do you know if any of these folks were eventually sent to Hart Island? Most of them were sent to Hart Island. I I wish I was open to the page where I talk about that, but I, the, one of the, uh, overseers of Hart Island actually eventually became the overseer of the workhouse on um, Blackwell's Island. And the workhouse was a prison for people who were convicted of misdemeanors like um, intoxication and disorderly conduct. But yeah, um, most of the inmates that died on Blackwell's Island went to Hart Island and they would keep a census of who they were sending there. And the, the, the almshouse and the lunatic asylum and, of course, the hospital, you know, sent the most um, dead to Hart Island. And they all, like, lived in fear of the, of this eventuality. Like, they all fig- knew that they were going to likely end up there, and, and they were terrified of it. What uh, roughly time period are we talking about? When, when did uh, Blackwell Island open for business, so to speak, and, and when was it finally uh, terminated? Well, the penitentiary was the first institution completed, and that was 1932. And then they built um, the lunatic asylum, the almshouse, um, a, a hospital to serve these populations in the workhouse. And my book um, covers that period to 1895, and then I have an epilogue of what happened since. But the island, one by one, um, these institutions were closed down. Um, or built elsewhere, and the island, which became um, Welfare Island, and that was when welfare was not, like the pejorative it is now, it was a word meant to symbolize compassion for your fellow man. Um, It was largely abandoned by the 1950s, 1960s, and then it was reimagined 
as an island for lower income housing, um, nice lower income housing and, and housing for people with disabilities. And the hospitals and new, newer hospitals were built on the island. What is there now? Now, um, see, all the hospitals are gone. There's only very few structures from the 19th century. There's a smallpox, uh, what was once a smallpox hospital on the southern end of the island, but it's just a crumbling ruin. The lunatic asylum was torn down, and uh, one piece that um, remained is now part of a luxury apartment complex, and Cornell University just built a new campus there focusing on technology. So earlier you had mentioned that the institutions that they were going to create on Blackwell Island were going to be state-of-the-art, certainly better. What happened along the way? One by one, each of them failed, and they failed very quickly. And again, it was because they had too many people to take care of, and they were not spending enough money. And every idea they made after that just was a bad idea. Uh, For instance, um, to save money um, on hiring people, they took people that had been convicted of crimes and sent to the workhouse and employed them as nurses and attendants in the lunatic asylum, which went just about as well as you can imagine. They were very abusive to the women there. Oh, and I say women because um, I forget the exact year, but I think it was 1972 or roughly it became um, female only, and they built a separate lunatic asylum for the men on Ward's Island, another island in the East River. And they kept like maybe roughly 100 men behind to do some of the chores there that the women couldn't do. So, and I've lost my place. What were we talking about? (laughs) Well, actually, I want to clarify one thing. You mentioned this was going on in 1972. Do you mean 1872? Oh, did I say 1972? Only 100 years amongst friends. And that's like the bulk of my um, book starts there because it was very hard to find any materials about the island. Not a lot has um, survived. And I think that was on purpose. I don't think the city really wanted everyone to know exactly what took place there. But I found this Episcopal missionary, um, William Glennie French, who wrote annual reports. Um, And he was very frank and open about his work there and what I found. In fact, I focus on him in this testimony um, that took place um, prior to Nellie Bly's expose, but again, word had gotten out of just how terrible it was there. And so the Senate had an investigation and they subpoenaed um, Reverend French to testify at one of their um, committee investigations. And the night before he was scheduled to talk, he got a telegram from his superior telling them that if he testified at this um, investigation, that he was in danger of losing his position. And so French showed up and told him that. He said, I want to testify. You know, I really want to tell you what's going on there. Um, but this stops me. So they subpoenaed his superior and they had, you know, they said, okay, explain why he's going to lose his job if he just helps us try to find out what is going on on this island and try to help these poor people. 
geographically speaking, um, where is Blackwell's Island in relationship to Hart Island? Are they fairly close uh, together? Well, you know, I don't know the exact distance, but to me, it's close. I mean, you can't swim to <laughs> each between them, but what's now called Roosevelt Island, Blackwell's Island is in the East River. Um, and so it's got Manhattan on one side, Queens on the other side, and then north of Blackwell's Island, um, coming off the Bronx is Hart Island. So it's not really far. I mean, I mean, it's very, very close. Right. And the it's short boat ride. Right. And, and the fact that a thousand people died each year, um, we could be talking 20, 30,000 people uh, in total, right? During the, um, the history of Blackwell's Island that might have died there? Actually, it would be much more than that because the, let's see, 18, 1895 minus 1832. Yeah, like, I mean, if it was exactly that every year, right. but that's an average, it was 63,000. Right. So, in fact, Blackwell's Island did become a gateway leading to Hard Island. Did you do any research on Hard Island? Did that come onto your radar screen while you were doing the research on Blackwell's Island? Oh, I've been fascinated by Hard Island for a long time. It actually, I've got a, a chapter about Hard Island in a book I wrote years and years ago um, called Waiting for My Cats to Die. And that was actually a memoir. And I wanted to write a book about death. But my agent at the time thought, well, you know, who wants to read about death? And so I pitched instead this memoir, but it was actually a book about death. <laughs> and I just researched it and just disguised it as a memoir. And in the process of writing it, I mean, I, would, I was always fascinated by Hard Island, but a friend of mine told me that his mother um, had a baby that died that was buried on Hard Island. She always felt terrible about it. And so I wrote a chapter about Hart Island, and, and I included her story. And I was um, lucky enough to go to Hart Island a few times. And his mother always had this impression that it was a terrible, ugly place, and it was wrong that she, that her she had allowed her daughter to be buried there. But when I went there, my impression was actually: Have you? You must have been there yourself, right? No, I have not been there. Oh, well, my, this is my opinion and my impression, mm -hmm. but I thought it was a very beautiful, peaceful place. Um, it ha there are buildings there that have been allowed to decay. So it has that, that beauty of nature taking over these structures and the Rikers Island inmates that were working there were very, very respectful and treated their jobs um, with reverence and their respect for the dead was just very, very obvious. And when you're there, you know, the only sounds that you hear is water and wind. And it's, I don't know, I just thought this is not a bad place to spend eternity. How, how did you get there? I forgot. Get how he heard about me, but 
someone from the uh, this guy that um, works for the Department of Correction. He runs this website for the history of the Department of Correction. Oh my God. I don't have a working brain anymore. My mind is blanking. He's the nicest guy in the world, too. But he read something I had written. Oh, now I remember. I contacted him because I wanted to research some materials that he had about Heart Island in his collection. And so I met him, and he was the one um, who arranged for me to have a visit. He, like, got a a group together of historians who were interested in Heart Island and arranged for a tour. Stacy, in the minute or so we have left, for listeners who would like to uh, follow you and see what you're up to uh, next, how can they do that? I have a blog, uh, stacyhorn.com, where I post about my life and my cats and my books I also work at the ASPCA hospital. I'm an avid and intense animal lover. So I post about that too. Well, that's great. Well, Stacy, I want to thank you very much uh, for joining us on Talking Hard Island. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Hi, this is Norma Jean. I wanted to take a moment to remind you In order to receive updates or news about upcoming episodes of Talking Heart Island, simply go to the subscribe page on our website, located at www.michaeltkeen.com, and enter your email address. If you have any questions about the podcast itself or simply wish to contact any team members for book inquiries, voiceovers, website or graphics design, Use our contact page, also found at www.michaeltkeen.com. And if you're enjoying the show and would like to give us a review, please do so at iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. So until next week, this is Norma Jean, and we're Talking Heart Island. (laughs) 